This is AI Podcast, not artificial intelligence, agency intelligence. Our team's going to be 10 times stronger than all the other teams. A platform for agents. When people think of niche marketing, they're thinking so small scale. In real life agencies, sharing their thoughts. All you need to do is get in front of more people. To transform an industry. Better coverages, uh, better pricing, just better everything. Real. The difference between givers, takers, and matchers. Agents. I guess I took a slightly different path coming to the agency. I know a lot of agencies. You can partner your clients with those companies that are looking for that specific target market. This is AI Podcast. Are you ready? I am. Let's go. Hello, loyal listeners, and welcome to another episode of Agency Intelligence, where we give you real agents inside of real agencies, and we give you the real agency intelligence and not the artificial that they try to make you believe out there. I'm not going to disappoint once again. I'm bringing my boy, Eric Garcia. You loyal listeners know him from the area of NOLA, also known as New Orleans, Louisiana. How are you doing, Mr. Eric Garcia? Man, I am doing fantastic. I'm excited to be your guest today, man. I know we're going to have a lot to talk about. We'll probably go all over the world in our conversation, but uh, it's always a good time. Yeah, I want to let you guys know, buckle up. It's going to be, we will go all over the place. We have a couple like general ideas we're going to try and travel to, but uh, you know how Cass gets whenever he gets his close friends on here. Now, Eric comes from more of a background of faith, so I will try to hold my cussing. I don't know what it is, Eric, but I get my friends around that I have on a lot, and like I get Langeal on or I get Wesley on, and all of a sudden I just start throwing f-bombs and s-bombs it's like where is that coming from that never comes out of me whenever i'm on a podcast i do swear a lot but here's the thing i want the loyal listeners to know eric they know where my heart is they know that me and you kind of hooked up around 2010 2011 2012 it was probably around 20 hell it was before that yeah i think it was 2011 yeah it's 2011 right around 2011 and like we got along right and like we we, we just kind of ran into each other we would say hey what's up da 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 you know, I had done a little speaking gig thing there. And then we kind of like, we kind of knew that we liked each other. We're like, hey, he's a cool guy. And he's like, hey, he's a cool guy. But it's not until after a long friendship that in 2017, Cass found out that Eric was Cuban. And that's then how long took, that's how long I, it took you to figure it, it out. It did. It did. It did. To me, to me, Cuba was just another country, right? That is that didn't have any relevance to me. Just it was like country. It'd be like, like saying Bolivia, right? It, it's Peru. like it, Right. Uh, per, yeah, right. Or, <laughs> or, or Australia. Down Aust- under. <laughs> right? No, yeah, exactly. But now I was like, now that that had become a piece of me, and then, you know, you're like, Cass, like when I told you I were going, you're like, you were telling me about stuff. And then when you found out where I was, you're like, dude, like my family lives like six miles up the road, you know? And so I really thought that was really cool. And that kind of set it in motion that no wonder we've been jiving for five years. Dude, I feel like I need to represent better than, man, if it took you that long to figure it out. Yeah, well, you know, I got to admit, I think uh, I've found out a lot of people are Cuban. Uh, Michael Cruz is a listener Cuban. And um, gosh, now I'm drawing blanks, but I've got to, or uh, Victor Gonzalez is Cuban. I'm drawing blanks with some of the others that'll come to me, but they don't, you don't, you don't know that. Cubans don't wear that on their, on their sleeve. You should. But I can understand why in this stupid ass country, the way that we think about Cuba, I could see why you don't. Well, that's that's another conversation that we probably don't want to. We don't need to go there. But the other yeah, thing is, yeah. is, if you go to Cuba, they'll wear shirts and shorts and pants that are nothing but the American flag. I told that to my wife. I said, I don't know if I could pull that off in America. Because you got you got Cubans in America sending stuff back to to their families. And yeah, God forbid that happens. They wear what they wear. Yeah. I think it's amazing. I think it's amazing. Amazing place. Amazing culture. No, it's a beautiful. It's a beautiful culture, man. It's it's. I am like. I love. Absolutely love culture. So I, I get to live in one of America's most soulful cities, being born of Cuban parents. So like, I, I get like the best, the best food, the best music. Fantastic, dude. I know it's in. The, I know it's in the spring. Your uh, kids will be knee deep in in athletics. But you and I, on a side note, we've got to talk about you going and maybe bringing your son or something like that, your family uh, in March, dude, we're going to be doing this big plumbing project and it's going to be awesome. And uh, at the same time, there's a conference going on 
like a leadership conference. And then the leadership conference is, is, is for all ages. So there's people 60 to 50 to 40 there, but then there's probably 50, 60, 70 kids of 15 and under. And so like I take my sons and my sons absolutely love it. I mean, they, they can't even speak the language of the people, but they, but they have so much fun. It's ridiculous. Just something to think about side note. Here's what they, one thing, let me let's close out with this. One thing about the Cuban people that has always fascinated me, you experience it here in the U.S., but you really experience it when you go to Cuba. They have just a tremendous spirit about them. They, they are the most welcoming, the most joyful people, despite circumstances. Oh, it just doesn't make any sense. It doesn't make any sense. That's the great paradox of Cuba is these people. See, loyal listeners, I won't go into it too more because I already talked about this in a recent podcast. I don't even know if the podcast has come out yet, Eric, but it's, it's something that I did. It was the great paradox of life, right? The great paradox of life says that we put value on things that we pay for, the things that we can get for free, we don't put value on. But the great paradox of life says that that's actually opposite of how life works. The things that are free are the things that have value. The things that you don't, that you pay for can be thrown away, recycled. But the things that are free in life, like health, love, uh, spirituality, compassion, those type of things, intelligence, those things do come for free. And that was, was the great paradox. And the Cubans live that. That's what I, after going so many times, I've realized that like they may not even realize that, but they live that. They know to them, their faith, their religion, their family is it's so unnatural. huge to them. It's just, yeah, it's like. I think a big part of it too is in a lot of parts in America, we've lost it. The sense of community. You go to a, a third world country, I mean, community is all you got. You have to have good neighbors. You have to look out for each other. You know, we get so comfortable with our bank accounts. We get, we get so, we don't have to think about where our next meal comes from. But you go to Cuba and, and they're still on ration cards. You need that sense of community. And I think that we were created for community. We're, we're better when we're in community. And you, you get that. Yeah, it's, it's, it's got to be a tribal thing, right? Like we like stories because that's what we used to do around the campfire. It makes sense what you're saying is that before there was Facebook, before we knew what communities were inside of a city, before any type of thing like that, we had that community of, of, of what we would have called back then maybe clannish or tribal. But even there was tribes inside of tribes that made up this community. So I, I like that. And that's, I was there the uh, last time I was there on Saturday morning in Pedro. They have two places where they make the bread. And one of the places, the machine broke down for the night. And so they were trying to fix it. But like the next morning, people were, I mean, if they don't get that bread, like they're not eating. You know, and I mean, we don't understand that concept. Like if they don't get that bread in the morning, they're not eating. And it's, and it's kind of crazy because the church has enough rations on its own that it's able to, in times like that, then it takes in people and will feed them for that morning Why those rations until they get that machine fixed. So me being in the church, I'm never hungry because I, the rations are always there if I need them. So it's just interesting concept as, as an American, you can't understand the culture, but it's so so overwhelming. It's it's so overwhelmingly satisfying to me. Okay, it is beautiful. So why I brought you on here, Eric, is because number one, this is long overdue. All you loyal listeners know that I bring up Eric all the time. Eric is uh, somebody that I see in my life uh, who is steady and tried and true. If you know him, he wears a hat that just looks ridiculous if you go eat with him or go out with him, but he wears it because that hat looks good on him, but it would not look good on you. He speaks uh, from a spiritual mind. He's a gentle soul, I would say. And Eric, you bring that into the industry as well, because when Cass sometimes is getting way out there in left field or getting hot or heated, even if you agree with me, you have a way of bringing in and being like, Cass, like this is the way you got to kind of explain it or go about it this way. And I appreciate you for that. And the industry appreciates you for that. And with it being the day before Thanksgiving, I want to say thank you. But I also want to You're talk welcome. about what You're you do. so soft on me. With, I, I have to. You're my homie. But we want to talk about what else you do, because this is what the industry doesn't know. And that's what I wanted this podcast to be about kind of is that you are in the insurance side. I want you to give us a little background as to why you're in the place that you're in now. I want you to take us back. I'm going to do the questions, but I'm going to do them differently today. And then I want to take us back and then bring us forward to where you are today. And then I want to talk about your side hobby and how long that will be your side hobby. Take us back. What's my side hobby? I don't know. I'm going to talk to you about that. So it's just you start though. Tell them who you are. I'm going to turn the tables. So I'm going to start with today and I'll, go, and I'll go backwards if that's all right by you. I love it. That's a good one. Yeah, there we go. So I, I do own an independent agency. I am not a operator. I don't actively sell or service policies, only when I need to hop in to fill in. I'm a financial advisor. 
I've got my uh, certified financial planner designation. So the majority of my work is financial planning. It is investment management. So let me back up now. In 2001, graduate from college. My dad's a captive agent with the company. I looked at going on the financial side straight away, but it made sense for me to go work with the company that my dad worked for so that I could have access to his clients and work alongside of him. I was my own agent when I started, but in 2004, we came one agency and I drove all the life insurance sales and investment sales. And just as I grew in my knowledge, I started running into obstacles with the company that I was representing in terms of service that I wanted to provide clients, types of investment accounts that I wanted to provide clients. So that eventually led me to go independent on the financial side in 2008. And that's when pretty much exclusively focused on investment management and a couple different circumstances led me into the financial planning. Part of it is I started doing some work with a, um, a couples counselor. He called me up, good friend of mine, asking questions about some couples that he was meeting with. He thought that maybe they had a financial issue if, if I'd be willing to meet with them and give some advice. So we started collaborating and I realized that there was a huge need for planning and not just planning for retirement, but planning around day-to-day money decisions, getting out of debt, cash flow management, understanding insurance, buying the right insurance. So it was obviously I had the, that background that was natural to bring that in. It eventually led me to get my, my CFP designation, I want to say in 2017 or so. So that, that's what I do. That's how I got into it. And that's what I'm doing now. And so you, like you said, you're not in the insurance business. You are because of your relationship and the thing that you discussed with your dad. But would you say, let me ask you this. Let me ask you this. It's uh, you wake up at what time? Four, four thirty. Usually four thirty. Four thirty. And then what is your, what do you do? It depends on the day. About four months ago, I realized that I needed to start working out again because I was just not feeling well. I was just kind of feeling tired all the time. So three days a week, I'm, I'm in the gym working out. And then I come home, drink a ton of coffee and drive a kid to school. And then I get into the office around eight. How long do you work out for? It's usually an hour. It's an hour. Okay. That's good. That's good. Do you do more cardio or are you more of a weight guy? So I started drinking the Kool-Aid, man. I started doing CrossFit. Oh, you did? Yeah, okay. Okay. Yeah, I did. It's so been that's great. what you're doing. So you're in the, you're in the box. But whatever the box is, I'm in it. Yeah. <laughs> I can tell you, when it comes to working out, in fact, in the beginning of this year, January, one of my only New Year's resolutions was to quit the gym. I had one of those $10 a month gym memberships that I never used. I walked in, canceled my membership. The guy was like dumbfounded. He's everyone's trying to join, right? In, in, on Jan- in January, and I canceled it. And the reason I did, the reason I'm doing what I'm doing now is because I need that accountability, man. And like this morning, I was telling someone, man, if it wasn't, if I was here alone, I'd still be in bed. Like working out is, I don't have the, the motivation or the drive to do it on my own. Isn't it amazing? So it doesn't mean, and this is a little glimmer of hope for everybody. This doesn't mean that you're not a person that doesn't have drive, doesn't have motivation, because we describe each other that way. We describe as that's somebody who doesn't have much drive or much motivation, or I'm that person that doesn't have much drive or motivation. But you just proved it wrong because you're saying that you don't have drive or motivation for working out, but yet you are a business owner. And to be a business owner, you have to have drive or motivation. So it proves that driver motivation is circumstantial to whatever you're talking about having drive towards at that time. Am I right? Yeah. It, the planning process too, it's knowing what you want, right? You have some, some picture in the future. At some point, it could be a year, two years, five years from now. And you kind of work backwards from there. Like, I know I want to be healthy. I know I want to be able to run around with my kids. I want to be able to sit on the ground and my knees and my back not hurt. So what do I need to do to have that lifestyle? Well, I got to work out and can't do it on my own. I can't automate it. I can't outsource it. So, <laughs> right? So, yeah. So I pay more money than $10 a month to go work out with the community of people that 30 minutes in when I want to quit, I look to the side of me and there's someone else doing what, what I'm struggling and it's the accountability. It's the motivation. And when you look back down, they're looking over at you going, shit, he's still going to. Yeah. Like, <laughs> if I don't show up, then they say, where were you? It's accountability. And that's the thing that I, I think that so much in our businesses, so much in our life that we don't hold ourselves accountable. and oftentimes. I think Billy always says, most of us don't lack the discipline to be accountable to ourselves. So we got to introduce outside influences or outside accountability. People who know us, who see us regularly, who we have to answer to if we don't do what we're supposed to be doing. And that's why I think there's such a huge need about with financial planning. I was having a conversation last night with a friend and he was kind of questioning the value 
of hiring a financial planner. And in the end, he's not doing anything he should be doing. It's not complicated stuff. The complicated part is actually executing. It's actually doing it. It's simple. Some of the decisions that we have to make, some of the decisions are simple. We just don't do it. It's not that difficult to wake up in the morning and go work out. Just didn't do it. No. And I'm going to be honest with you. This is the way that I see this. It's not difficult to be a business owner. It's not easy. It's not easy. So the old saying that I, I found for the first time a couple of weeks ago, or a couple of months ago, it was uh, success is easy once you accept how hard it is. And I think that that's right. Like uh, we can't get over the fact of of how hard it is rather than just go to work and do it, right? That's just the way that it is. And there was another point there that I had because you were really hitting something when, oh, sorry, accountability. I believe accountability has been the number one change uh, factor of change in my agency from Billy Williams. I just released eight people that have been big in the industry's lie in the industry. And really when I started that post, the only person I wanted to put on there was Billy Williams. But then I thought to myself, no, this isn't about me, right? This is about, I'm trying to make a post for the industry to acknowledge the, to other people who don't know how great these people are to the industry. So that's, that was my point. My point is, is that Billy Williams taught me accountability and I'm actually not the greatest at it still, but it has changed my office. He says, Jason, that's the first thing you should do when you get in in the morning. Don't open your email. Don't do all the stuff that you do, even though I, I got a lie. Yeah. How many times do thing. you open your emails at first? No, 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 I don't. No, 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 not in the last, like, no, just in the last month or two. I'm going to be honest, just in the last month or two. And I've been telling my staff that as well. And so I always tell Travis, when Travis is in the office, I said, if you see my, my little thing on my office 365, that's red. I said, if you get in in the morning and it's red, I'm already at work. You better believe it. I just don't, in my, when my thing doesn't come on till 30 to 45 minutes, it'll show green because that's when I open up my, my office 365 and my teams. Before that, I keep that shit shut. And that's been very hard for me to do. It really, truly has. But here's my point. My point is this. What I did do is I started realizing I have more time to answer my emails if I hold my staff accountable. When I can run task reports and I can talk to them and I can say, hey, Sarah, you know, we started this task in 1118. It's 11.26. Like, what is going on? Like, these don't take that long. And I don't have to do that. That's the thing. At the beginning, when I finally listened to Billy, and you know this, you, you went through a similar situation. I had to be on them all the time, but it only took two or three times for them to realize like, wow, shit, he's going to look at that every morning at 6.30 when he comes in. And by the time I come in at 8.30, I mean, I mean he's, he's going to have questions for me. It was amazing. All of a sudden, now all those due dates are getting tracked. And then what I have to do is I have a spy. So I have my VA help me spy on them. So what my staff, and, I, and they haven't done it yet, but I'm, I'm watching them to make sure they don't cheat. And what I mean by that is, is it's easy to change that due date. So if a task is set and it's supposed to happen on 1127, there's a start date. And what they can easily do is they can keep changing that due date, but yet maybe not doing anything. They can just change the due date to the next day. So I have my VA monitor their task, not everybody's task, but I'll pick one person and I'll say, monitor their task this week to see how fast those quotes, like where are those quotes really coming in. And so far they're always right. Where mine always comes back to is endorsements. They're, my staff is slow on endorsements when they've reached out to the company and they're waiting for the company to call back. If the company hasn't called back, they're not going to be very proactive in that because they have other things to do. They're just going to wait for the company to call back. The hardest part running an insurance agency, and, and I think we've, we've probably had this conversation multiple times in the mastermind, is just managing the sheer amount of information and data that flows through. That's the hardest part. Insurance is really simple. And we've had these conversations down here in New Orleans. We have to represent so many different companies just because of the nature of, of our market down here. And you got 15 different companies giving you information 15 different ways, 15 different ways to process endorsements. So it's a complicates it. So when you're dealing with all this data, you're you're kind of working the in the moment of what's the most urgent and going back and completing those tasks becomes a challenge. We started, this is what we did. We started tracking outstanding tasks or past due tasks. And on every Friday, one of my staff will just post, we'll run a report every staff member with the amount of past due tasks that they have. And then we'll run side by side to that, the amount of tasks that they completed in the past seven days. So just putting that report out, it's amazing to me how much, how more effective and efficient they are in closing out tasks. And with the reason I, I, I'm tracking accountability, they, right? Accountability. I don't have to go in there and say, hey, why do you have 30 outstanding tasks? Everyone gets to see how many outstanding tasks you have. So if you went from like 16 
to 20 outstanding tasks and you only completed three, we got a problem. So Eric, did you run the report inside of QQ to where you run like tasks, but you can put closed tasks in a certain time period, like data range? Yeah. So, so what we do is we run it every Friday. So we'll run it through the previous day. So I'll just pick like an early date. We also track the oldest task. So the oldest out Whoever has the oldest task. Oh, that's great, dude. That is, this is good. I like these. So I can walk in. I'm like, why, why do you have this task from June 28th? Have you addressed this yet? In most of the case, it's been addressed. They just haven't gone and checked it off. But the problem, the reason we started doing that was because when you have 60 past due tasks, there might be like one that is critical that gets lost in the other 59. So when you complete something, check it off, put your note in, check it off. And just, just posting that number has made a huge difference. As a business owner, especially too, it, we're like Jesus, right? We can have 59, but we got to go find that one. Go find that one. <laughs> I'm sorry. Terrible. It was terrible, is it? but it was a good joke. It's good. But no, that's the, you're exactly right. No, you are. It's that one. And you know how it is too. That one was always the most important. It's just the way life is. You know, It's like of all the things we could have messed up on. That's an interesting conversation. How would Jesus run an agency? I tell you, he'd have it. It would be, uh, no, I don't know. I, I have a couple ideas. I think someone could actually invent a non-for-profit insurance agency, and I think it would be very successful, but that would be my, well, I mean, I mean, would he interfere? Would he say, hey, let me take would care of that interfere? claim? <laughs> just, just, be, <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. Just try to keep the loss ratio that'd, down. That'd be, a, that'd be an interesting conversation. <laughs> yeah. Like, well, yeah, what is it? <laughs> no, that didn't happen. No, you know, so no, it's a, it's a, no, it would be interesting. What would Jesus do? I think, I think I'm not trying to be silly. I'm not, I'm not trying to be silly. I'm being serious. I think he'd run it a lot of the same ways that you and I do. And a lot of business owners. Maybe he would pay for the increase in the insurance for you. He would, he would, he would carry that burden. He could, he's carried a lot of burdens. So that would be one that he would probably be willing to, to help with. But I think he'd run it the same way as us. I think that's the guiding light that we use. We just don't think it, but subconsciously. I mean, I I don't, earlier in my career, I had a problem with ethical dilemmas. I don't now. I would walk that line and no one can lie. Everybody has, and I've crossed it. And I've done it because I knew the risk was little but the reward was high for Cass and his family trying to eat at that time. And it was something that wouldn't harm somebody. And I can't even think of one. I'm trying to think of one right now so I could bust myself out on this, but I can't. But the point is, is I don't do that anymore. I don't have to do that. And it allows me to be a lot more strict with my staff because we, as an agency, don't have to do that. We make money. We're profitable. We're able to pay our bills. We don't need to be trying to bend something because it's that one time we bend is going to be the most important. And that's when the Department of Insurance is going to come knocking on my door. That's ethical dilemmas. So I think that uh, Jesus obviously would have, an, he would just be like, no, that's just the way that it is. I think here's where it's at. Like, forget the industry, right? Forget the insurance industry or, or the financial industry. At the end of the day, we're in the service industry. We, we interact with people. So I think what it comes down to is how are we treating people? How do we care for our clients? Do we make time for them? How do we treat our staff? Do we make time for them? Are we driven just by money? Are we driven just by profit? I got to become more profitable. I got to become more profitable. So we're looking at every possible way to cut profit. But yet while we do that, we provide poor service or we don't take care of our staff. And I think that's where it comes down to is how do we interact with the people that we serve on a daily basis? Are we representing? Are we honest? Do we operate? Do we treat people with dignity? regardless of client size. I think that's a big thing is oftentimes we only want to service a certain client. And I get niche markets and that's cool. But for me, like I like helping people. It's hard to turn someone away. This is a conversation I had with another financial advisor yesterday where he's like, yeah, I'm just going after, you know, million dollar clients. I'm like, yeah, that's cool. I'm trying to develop, I'm trying to develop a program or a plan to where I can service the $50 a month IRA account because I like helping people and I want to build scale into it. I want to make it profitable to where it's helpful for people. So I think that's where it comes down to. That's a hell of a task. That is a heck of a project to have underway, though. I got to tell you, I, uh, I I admire you on that because I think there's a lot of professionals that probably like the guy you were talking to who are steering away from that. I was talking with my CPA and she's trying to get rid of just doing regular tax returns. Right. She doesn't want to do that. And I think we see, I think the accountants see that along the same lines as we do as the liability only $30 a month person. Right. It's like we don't do that anymore. So, Eric, you're, you're bringing up a good thing that I really I can walk in, but it's not a very comforting thing for me. 
the the way that my mind has changed when it's come to how to run an agency for Jason Cast style is completely night and day. And I mean, no, we're at a little over a thousand clients, a little under 1100 clients, and we're trying to get to 250 as fast as we can. We're trying to get to a $10,000 revenue per client. That's where we're trying to go. We're not trying to, I'm not trying to help everybody. And that's just my personal opinion. And it does not surprise me. I'm not, not, yeah, and I'm not, I'm not suggesting, I'm not suggesting that you have to, that's not what I'm suggesting here. No, 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 no. But I also want to say that the riches are in the niches and we know that, but I don't think it's necessarily for us. Here's what I want to say. For us, it's about the fact that we're egotistical and we like to try and tell things to people that they don't already know. And a lot of times people kind of already know or other agents are telling them the same thing. So we tried to find where people don't know. I truly believe and I think, and, and bear with me because no one has ever heard this before, Eric. This is, this is something that's been our office is preparing for and we're getting ready to, to launch. Well, it's pretty big because it's big in the fact that I'm going to go against agents. My main marketing plan for business owners and commercial insurance that are paying 150 to 200,000 in premium or more is that you've always done it the same way you always had the bid process and how you select an agent and that whole process and how you try to save $10,000 over here when you really should be sending a saving 100,000 over here. But the agents out there have never been able to sell the way we are now because of data. Data now is aggregated on the work comp side so much that you literally can show clients like this account, swear to God, just wrote it uh, on Thursday. I didn't, Sean did for our agency. It's a $213,000 account. And the fact is we were $7,000 higher on the property, the GL, the autos, the umbrella, but we had shown them through the data-driven process of their modification factor that they had 0.51 controllable mod means they had a 0.137, but they're low. I think their minimum was a 0.73 or something like this. If you're if you're in the mod world, you kind of understand this a little bit. But it was showing them that all along for the last 30 years, they've always competed on this piece of insurance over here, the general liability, the property, the autos. Hey, let's see if we can save money there. And then the other uh, work comp is just always accepted as, oh, that's just costs a lot of money. The rates are set by the state. No, that's true, but there's a thing called a modification factor that you can use actual software that costs a lot of money, but you can use that software to help you drive that down. Our number one marketing thing that we hear over and over, and we're creating videos for it right now, is how come no one's ever told us this? Why has my agent never told me this? And you know what we always say? It's not your agent's fault. He doesn't know. There's two types of agents out there. This is what we tell our prospects. Two types of agents out there. 80% of the agents don't have a clue about this data-driven process, and they have no idea that this is even there. The other 20%, they know, but they're ignoring it because they don't want you to know, Mr. Business Owner. And that's the way it is. It's about coming up with a cause of helping business owners understand that the way they're purchasing insurance is absolutely silly. I'll give you one other little thing about this. We always wait till about 60 to 90 days out. That's what we have trained our clients to do and what we've trained prospects to do. And then we shop our insurance. No, it's terrible. You come in at five or six months into the policy, that's where then you secure a lot of their stuff, secure a lot of their mod analysis, get their loss runs, break those down, check it out. Here's what we found out over 70% of the time, over 70% of the time, the payroll that is reported to NCCI on the mod sheet is wrong. So I can just devastate the other agent who they think is fantastic, who still has open claims sitting out there, reserves sitting out there that are not correct. That's making their mod and increasing their workers' comp. The poor agent doesn't even know about this, but here's the deal. You go in at five or six months, you get all that information, then you submit the quote. Then you get the quote from the carrier. When the carrier comes back and you give it to your client, you say, hey, if we do this process, this process, and this process before renewal, we can actually get this down and we can drive it down 10 points. We've already talked to the carrier about it. Boom, boom, boom. We get those things set up. So by the time renewal comes, Hello, loyal listeners. Hey, are you a local agent struggling to find markets for your client? Maybe you, maybe not. Look no further than Nation Brokerage Solutions. With over 200 carriers, their comprehensive options give you what you need for your customers' ever-changing needs. With NBS, as they say it in the cool world, you can confidently offer a wide range of options to better support your customers and grow your business, AK Agency. Don't settle for less. Do more with NBS. For more information about nationwide brokerage solutions, visit nbsbrokerage.com. 
CAST certified. Now we're saving money on the current year, not waiting until the next renewal when we're going to put these things in place. The business owner has been trained wrong and it's not data, it's not the agent's fault or the industry fault. It's the fact that data has now arrived that has allowed us to be able to present insurance differently to clients. And there's agents out there that know this, but I'm telling you what, they're very few far in between and we are freaking, I'm serious. It's, it's a new day at the Insurance Alliance and this year has been fabulous growth for us and we're excited to see where, where next year's going to go. So that, that's one of the reasons, that's one of the ways. And you know, I want to end with this, Eric. I want to end with this, I promise. Because you lost me, man. You start talking about mods, you lost me. I know, me. I'm sorry, but other people fell. I'm, I'm, just checking, I'm I, just checking my Facebook feed right now. Here's the thing that I have to, that I had a hard time, and this is what the loyal listeners, I want them to get out of this. I had a hard time understanding, and agents still do in these Facebook groups, I see them, and understanding that every agency is a fingerprint. Every agency is a snowflake. They're all different. And the way Eric runs his, there's things he tells me that I think to himself, I would never do that. But that does not mean he is the in the wrong because he listens to the things that I'm saying and I start mentioning mods and he gets on his Facebook news feed, right? I mean, that's just the way this industry is. And I think if we could have that understanding, I think a lot of our conversations that we have in this industry would be a lot more productive there. What say you, Eric? So for the record, I wasn't on my Facebook feed. I listened to every I, I, I listened know. to I'm every word that you just, just said. Joking. And I think that we try to you bring up data. There's so much information and so much noise out there as owners or as agents, as financial advisors, whatever. We're drawn to so many different things and we have no focus, right? We try so many different things. I think what's really important is is we sit back long enough to know where we're gonna go. Right. I mean, it's basic. It's basic planning. Like, where am I going? What's my purpose? What's my vision? Who am I? What am I trying to accomplish? And then the things that you do, the software that you use, the way you sell, the staff you hire should support that vision. So you're you're, you're off talking about mods and how you you guys are going to do it. You clearly have an idea of where you're going, and then you've backed your way into how you're going to get there. And so often we just do things, and we wake up 20 years from now, and we're like, why am I not further ahead than where I should be? Right? Because we don't take we don't stop long enough to become maybe self-aware of the fact that I walk into my office and I check my email for 30 minutes and realize I've, I've wasted so much productivity or we, we don't have a picture of, of what we're, what am I trying to build my agency to? Like, where am I trying to go? Am I, am I building this as an asset to sell one day? Am I building this just to generate income for me for, you know, till I retire one day? Where are we headed? You know what? And let's talk about that, Eric, because let's talk about your side hustle. So first of all, I want the loyal listeners, we're going to come back to one, two, three, the three types of agents that we discussed in the mastermind, which kind of precursored this kind of podcast. But you have decided to go outside and of, of the financial realm, because you're a financial guy. Everybody, once again, loyal listeners, keep in mind, he is in the insurance industry, but he's financial. That's what he leads with. That's who he is at heart. So you have went out and created your own podcast. Yeah. Oh, that's side hustle. And it, yeah, that's your side hustle, man. That's okay. We can call that. I love it. You know, I guess side hustle necessarily implies that we make money. It's just our hobby in a way. You know what I mean? So you have planned wisely. Why don't you talk about it? You talked a little bit about it in a way, kind of. You said you met that guy who did the family planning, and you've kind of been on a journey to where you are now with that. Do you remember, man, I don't know, like, God, like five, four or five years ago, this is when I was working with with your team at Greg at the time, Grow, and we actually uh, created your team actually created a podcast intro, and it was called "Plan Wisely: The Langyap Show." Oh, I remember that the Langyap. You remember that? Yes, Langyap. So Langyap it's a French term. It's something extra, something for free. So down here in New Orleans, you know, Langyap is you get a little, you know, they might bring an appetizer out for you, but it's something for free. It's something extra. So that was the idea. So this has been a long, long, long time in the works. But yeah, no, it's uh, the Plan Wisely Show with Eric Garcia. Money is is a pretty important part of our lives, and it, and it impacts about everything we do. So I get to talk about money issues and kind of my thoughts on it. So there's a lot of noise right in the financial industry. So the idea is to to kind of cut through that noise and give people practical and simple ways to think about planning issues or money issues. You know, last, for example, the last episode, how to deny your kid to better their financial future. So I had on a, a child therapist and we talked about 
just certain habits that we want to develop in our kids so that they can be successful uh, financially. Yeah, but the kicker is that kids learn from us. They learn from watching. We can teach our kids all day long. They're going to end up doing what we do and, and, and observe our own behaviors. You know, one before that was how to prep your finances for the next recession. And the next one we're, we're lined up to do is we're going to talk about a pretty controversial issue with couples. It's to merge or not to merge bank accounts. So that's going to be a fun one. And, Ooh. and we're going to have a, a, a guest host on that one Ooh, as well. Yeah. I want to hear that one, dude. I'm in Noah. I'm in a Josh Lipstone made the the post that in the mastermind, he said that if you don't have joint bank accounts, that's a sign of mistrust. And I hurt. And I, and I replied to him. And uh, I told him that I'm guilty of that. My wife and I have separate bank accounts. And if you asked her why that is, I do not know, but I could guarantee you what she's going to say. She doesn't trust you? No, hell no. She doesn't, she doesn't trust me to tell her what I spend. So like I'll mess up the bank account because she knows how much money we have in there. And me, I'll go in there and she'll, it'll be $1,500 less. And she'll be like, what the hell? You know, this has never happened because I've never been in her bank account. So I kind of, all my, all of my money, whether this is wrong or not, all of my money from all my businesses is deposited into my wife's account. It all goes into my wife's account. She pays all the bills. And I do that strictly because I don't want to do it because I'm terrible at that kind of stuff. So I would just never pay them so that she does all that. And then my money that I have off AI, I get like $250 a week for real. And that's my, that's my spending money. That's what I, that's my allowance that I have to give myself. And I could give myself more, I could give myself less, but that's what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to do other things. But so anyways, that's that's my thing. So I can see how that could be. I buy gum for $4 here. I stop and I get smoothies at Smoothie King for six bucks all the time, you know. And if that stuff was going through there, you just got to know my wife. It'd drive her freaking crazy. Am I still wrong for that, Eric? Because you drink $6 smoothies? I'm not judging you. I'm not judging no, you. No, because we don't have the same because we don't have the same bank account. I'm starting to feel guilty because like there is no lack of trust. It's just we've always done it this way. And so starting to question my actions. That's what I find. It's it's this is just how we've done it. Uh, and for me, I kind of use the analogy of this. Let's say you and I were to go into business together and we're to each bring, let's say, $50,000 of capital to start the business. And it was, all right, Cass, you got 50,000. I got 50,000. This is my vision for the business. This is your vision for the business. You go off and spend your 50. I'll spend my 50 and hope we're successful. No, it doesn't make any sense, right? We would combine our money and have a common common goal, a common vision. We would, we would agree on how we're going to spend the money to reach our, our business goals and our business purpose. So I'll give away the punchline here. I think that I've come to the point where I don't think it matters if you have separate accounts or not. What's important is complete transparency. And the problem is people who have separate bank accounts don't have complete transparency. So sometimes advice is different for different people. We talk about data and, and you were talking about data and data points in, in the workers' comp. In the financial space, the hard part is I'm looking for kind of behavioral data points, right? How do you respond to certain situations? You know, if you wake up one morning and you hear the stock market's down, how are you going to respond to that? Are you more risk tolerant or less risk tolerant? Are you someone who watches your money closely or someone who doesn't watch your money closely? Are you naturally a, a big spender or are you not a spender? Are you a saver? Are you a giver? So those are data points that I look at that go into the advice and the counsel that I give to clients in terms of putting the plan together because all that will impact their ability to, to implement, to execute. So I like that. And you know, what's crazy about it is, is she pays all the bills. I mean, I don't even know how much our car payments are. I'm serious. I don't know what our house payment is. She just pays all the bills. But the thing is, is that I'm the one who does the budget. So like, I'm the one who has to do the budget. So I do know what she pays for our house payment, but I don't know truly what our house payment is, like what it is. She just always pays above and beyond. So whatever it is, but I'm the one who controls the budget. I'm the one because we use everydollar.com and it's a very simple thing from Dave Ramsey. We've used it since 2014 whenever we did the financial peace course and it, it allows, it hooks up to both of our bank accounts and then I can pull the transactions and, and drag and drop them right into the budget. And inside there, she can at any time click that thing and it shows my bank account and all my transactions and her bank account and all her transactions. So we can see them all. But I just find it funny that I have, want to have nothing to do with the bills, but I'm all about the budget. I love seeing exactly how much money we're trying to put in different places. To me, I kind of get off on that a little bit. So it's weird, isn't it, how we kind of do that? It's just weird. No, but, but I think that's natural. It's, I think that's natural. It's, it's, it's people have different skill sets. 
Some people are better at paying bills than others. Some people are more planners than others. And I think in a marriage relationship, I think identifying who's good at what is is prudent and there's wisdom in that. Why would we have cast pay bills if cast can't stick to a, a consistent calendar or a schedule? It doesn't make sense. Well, let's let you use your gift in something else. What, what are you good at? Right? Making money. Well, cool. You go make the money. I'll manage it. That's right. That's exactly how it but works. What's important is, and, and this is the question I always ask, I always ask, this is my favorite question. It's why. Why are you doing what you do? Why, why do you budget? What are you trying to accomplish? It's not a question from a position of like, you're, you're wrong for doing that. But in the end, what are you trying to accomplish? 20 years from now, what do you want to do? Are you budgeting because you want to save for retirement? Are you budgeting because you want to be able to give more to your nonprofits? Are you budgeting just because that's what Dave Ramsey says and you have real no, no real outside motivation? That if you're not driven by some deeper purpose, making consistent good financial decisions is difficult. Absolutely. Absolutely. 1000%. I don't even know how you do it. And so, yeah, I, it's only been in the last two or three years, which has helped reshape the focus of the marketing plans inside of our agency, right? Is understanding that. It's that deeper purpose, man. I'm not even going to lie to you. It is okay to say that your deeper purpose, part of your deeper purpose is old raggedy cargo shorts, flip-flops, and t-shirts with holes in them on white beaches. And I'm being serious when I say that. Now, I don't know. I'm not talking about just sitting around drinking Coronas. I'm talking about still working. I'm talking about working as a on a fishing boat or you know, working at some, some restaurant or being an Uber driver, you know, in warmer weather. But I'm just saying that everybody's looks different, whether it's in Cuba building churches or whatever it can be. But let's go back to, which feeds into the one, two, three. So just to set this up, loyal listeners, I think I, no, I didn't post it in agency intelligence, but in the mastermind, uh, we talked about this at our meeting. And I also posted this in the group about one, two, three, there's three types of agents, an agent who loves the insurance is an agency owner. Let's just say this is agency owners. They love the business. You're going to have to take them away in an ambulance. They're going to die at their desk. They love this business. It's what they do. It's what their focus is. They love it. Number two is I love it. And okay. So I love it. I love it. Like number one does, but I actually have this passion on this hobby, on this thing I do on the side. And my agency just allows me to have the freedom and time to be able to do that. And then number three is I love it. But, and I love it means that I love it, but I'm going to be doing something else. I'm doing this. This is nothing but a stepping stone for what I want to do in 5, 10, 15 years. And everybody is one of those three. I just like to say everybody's one of those three. I guess you could be somewhere in between, but let's just categorize them. Something that you brought up, Eric, is you brought up that it's to know which one of those you are. It's all about planning. Because if you haven't noticed, loyal listeners, it always goes back to planning with Eric. It always goes back to planning. It's what he do. It's in his blood. So what, did, what, what made you think about those different things when it comes to planning and having agents understanding it? Is that, it kind of goes back to what you're just saying, right? Without the vision, you don't really know which one you are. Yeah, absolutely. If, if you don't, in the context of your one, two, and three, if you're a one, but you're trying to live out a three, you're going you're gonna to constantly be fall short or feel, feel better or, or, or a sense of unaccomplishment, I guess, if that makes sense. If you're a three and you're trying to be a one, you're going to be miserable. If you're a three and you want to eventually build your business and you see it as an asset, I'm going to build a good business that is marketable that I can sell one day, but you're operating like a one, then you're probably not building the most value into your business. I like that. I see where you're going there. I like that. So that's the thing is, is agency owners are terrible often. You know, I've met so many agency owners who go off on their own because they want to own, they want the freedom. I'm doing air quotes right now. They want the freedom of owning their own business, but they are, they are so locked down to long days. They're, they're, they're miserable. They're miserable, right? You left to become free, but you'd probably make more money and be happier if you went and worked for an agency. So we have to know, are we trying to build an asset on our balance sheet that is marketable that we can sell one day or is this more of that lifestyle business? I just love it. I wake up. I love coming to the office. I love talking to people about auto insurance. I love selling people home insurance or selling them life insurance. I make a good income and this is just exciting for me. And maybe I'll sell it one day. Maybe I won't. But if you're trying to, if you're trying to be something that you're not, then you're going to be miserable. So I think becoming aware of who you are and what you're trying to accomplish, it's that purpose, it's that goal. What am I trying to do? And then living out into that or, or making decisions that support that ultimate goal. That's right. That's a, a, absolutely right. I, I, I agree emphatically. And I, and I can't tell you enough how, how important. So one time I heard a guy by the name of Lou Tice. Lou Tice 
spoke um, when I was very, very young. I literally was listening to this on cassettes. I was like 19, 20 years old and uh, old Honda Accord. I was going around selling uh, windows. And I remember my father-in-law gave me this, Lou Tice. And one of the things that he told me that I'll always remember to this day is he said, Pete, there actually is motivation that the image that you have in your head, I'll never forget this. And I know a lot of people know this, but you'd be like, so surprised how many people don't know this. The image that you have in your head is what your brain and your subconscious goes to. So if you change, like if you go to a motivation, motivational speaker and the motivational speaker starts saying all this stuff, you start picturing yourself differently and you start feeling motivated because he said motivation is the distance between the picture you have in your head now and the picture of where you want to be. And one of the reasons why people are not motivated is because they are not, they, after you go to the motivational speaker, two or three days later, you're back in the same ruts because you're back to seeing that same picture. As opposed to if you keep that other picture in front of you, well, the cool thing about motivation, which which he explained to me and I loved it and I use it to this day is that you can't stop your brain from going to the new image. Like you can't stop it. If that's truly the image that you believe and you prosper to be, and that's your plan, that's your goal in life. You can't stop from the things happening that are going to happen to make that happen. And I really, when Lou Tice told me that, I really got that, was a, that was a mind blow to me because a lot of people, I hear people say, oh, I'm just not motivated. Oh, I wish I could get motivated. Change the image in your head, change your life, change your goals. Now I know that gets said a lot, but it really comes down to, it's that simple once you realize how hard it is. And let me, let me take one step further. Obviously it starts with with what you think and what you believe, because obviously what you think and, and what you believe is, is going to eventually impact how you act and the things you say and the decisions you make. One step further is now surround yourself with people that you can share that with who are going to hold you accountable to that. Yes. So here's the thing that's unfair about life. What's unfair about life is that what you need at the time you need it, you can't get. But whenever you don't need that same thing, everybody wants to give it to you. And it comes down to that way with in life when you're young and you have a lot of things to do, but you don't have much money and you're just trying to do as many things as you can, you need somebody to help you, but you can't afford it. And what's amazing is, is when you get older, the things now that you can afford it, you realize that you need people to help you, but now you can't afford it. And so it's kind of like, um, let me give it to this way. I heard a Kurt Warner. He said that two years before he was a Super Bowl MVP champion, he was stocking shelves at a grocery store and he had to walk to work and he couldn't get a loan for a car. And now that he's a Super Bowl champion, everybody wants to give him a car and he doesn't need the money. Right and now, they want to give it to him for free, and that, that's that's how life works. And the reason I say that is, is is people say, Jason, do you ever sleep? Jason, do you ever? I mean, how do how do you do all this stuff, dude? I go to bed every night. You can call my wife and ask her right now. We go to bed every night. It's getting bad between seven and eight o'clock. We're asleep by eight eight thirty. We're up early, early in the morning, and then we just go. The what you said is what I'm going to, Eric. I have figured out a way because I have become able to afford it. To where I've realized I suck at a lot of things. And I had to grind through that for 10 years or so to be able to get through it on my own. And it was miserable. But now I'm to the point where I don't have to worry about doing those certain things because I just have other people that I've paid that are strategically in my life because of the skills they have that I lack. That is why they're there. And so they become so valuable to me, not because of their skills but how they understand the relationship we have is so two-way. Yeah, this is something that we, man, we talked about this years ago in the mastermind, that double down on your strength. What are you good at? Focus in on it. Because so often we're taught, hey, if I'm bad at something, I got to get good at, right? And we focus so much energy on trying to shore up our weaknesses. And I think there's some prudence and some wisdom in getting better at things that we're not good at. But if we focus too much energy and neglect becoming better at what we're naturally good at, I think it's going to impact us. And early in our careers, we're trying to do everything well. But it gets to a point where, you know what? I enjoy doing what I do well, my strength, and I want to do more of that. And the way to do more of that is I've got to find someone to do the things that, that I'm not good at or that keep me from doing what I enjoy most. You get to a certain point in your career where you realize, why am I still doing this? That's right. No, and I'm with you totally. And that was the big eye opening. But once again, when you really need that, 
to be successful, that's when you can't afford it. Then after a while, when you, you're successful, now you can afford it. And you're like, well, God, I really could have used those back in the in the day. But here's the thing, like, I, I'm going to get drastically wild here. And this is not true for everybody. But you could see where I'm coming with here. It, self-help books are almost pointless. And the reason why I say that is, is because what you're trying to do, it, unless it's like, a, you know, addiction or something like that, that's not what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about, like, if you're trying to say, hey, I want to become more better on time management and I want to get better and being more detailed, right? Well, I'm not saying that those books are bad and they can help you and they can give you little tips, right? But at the end of the day, there's people out there that really are good at that, like time management and and details, and they really like doing that. And they really hate being a visionary and they really hate people are doing things that make them fly by the seat of their pants. Well, then guess what? You and I are perfect together. <laughs> you know what I mean? Because that's how that's the things I like. And that's how it has been. I'll skip on with it. But it's it's the beauty of Travis and Jason. Travis is so opposite of me. It's absolutely ridiculous. But dude, him and I have the greatest relationship. Again, we're, and we're so cool with it. Tom Baker made us sit down and really realize that to where it's like, he'll call me and cast, hey, dude, this I'm working on this right now. This is not me. This is, this is you. And it's like, all right, well, what is it? Da, 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 da. I'm like, oh yeah, this is totally not you, Travis. This is but me. I'm going to say this, but sometimes you have to do everything to realize what you don't like and what you're not good at. I think in that struggle, we become better. So I'll give you an example. I've heard this from so many of my boomer clients. I just don't want my kids to struggle, you know, like I did. I had to struggle so hard. They're successful. They've built good businesses or they've saved a lot of money. They're super successful. And they'll sit here and tell me I'm successful because I had to get a job at 14 or 15 and I had to struggle and I had to I had to work hard and develop this ethic. And that's why I'm successful. But in the same breath, they'll say, I don't want my kids to have to do what I did. I'm sitting here thinking, your struggle made you better. Why are we going to rob our kids of those experiences? I'm not sitting here saying like, kick your kid out at 18 and make them. You get what I'm saying is, is we're so unaware of the fact that struggles made us who we are. And if we rob our kids the opportunity to have similar struggles, or maybe not similar, you know, my dad came to this country at 15, didn't speak the language, worked three jobs, you know, got his GED at night. Um, obviously, that's not a lifestyle that he wants for me, nor I think anyone would advise him to say, send your kid to another country where he doesn't speak the language so he can become successful like you. But the idea is struggle makes us better. And it's crazy because I think that's the ebb and flow of life, right? It's the father, I'm just going to say this because this is, this is a very familiar scenario to me, but other people, but the father is a wonderful son or a wonderful father or he neglects his son. So his son grows up, neglects his son, because that's the only thing he knows. But then the next son grows up and says, no, I'm not going to neglect my son. I'm going to give, I'm going to teach my son. And then he has a son who doesn't neglect. And it goes back and forth, back and forth. And I think it has to do the same thing with you there. As you teach your sons, or my sons, I space sons, Loyola, as you know, I have two boys. But I teach my sons, I had a really hard upbringing. And I think you're right about that. And that struggle created me to say the same thing. Like, I don't want my boys to go through that. But I can also see my boys not having to ever go through that struggle and I'm making them say, man, are they going to be able to be tough like me? And maybe they won't be, right? And then they're going to have kids who they're going to struggle. And then those kids are going to grow up and say, hey, I'm not going to be the struggling. And so it kind of ebb and flows. And what you're saying is, is it doesn't have to be that way. You can say, hey, my kid is going to struggle. And we know what you're talking about. Anybody that doesn't know what you're talking about, you're being goofy. We know what he's talking about when we're talking about struggling. But it, it means that when they come up to you and they want something, you don't immediately just go, hey, that's the reason it is. You know, it's teaching them about money. You did a video one time about your son and you and your son were driving around and you were teaching him about money. <laughs> about debt. That, that was yeah, one of the, yeah. that was one of the greatest videos, dude, of all time. And I'm being serious about that. Like is teaching and seeing a, a son and a father working together and you were trying to prove points to him. Where would someone find that video? Where would someone find that, Eric? Is that out there somewhere? It's out there. I think it's on my YouTube channel somewhere. We can put the link in the, the if show you notes can. Be sure want. to send that to me or Reza, dude. Dude, that'd be awesome because that that is a that was a great video. It was a great, great video. Dude, I had a like, I lost my wallet. I, I'm I'm meeting a new a, a new client or new prospect for you know an investment account, and I'm meeting this guy in like an hour, and I can't find my wallet. So like I'm taking this guy to lunch, and I have no wallet. So, so 
so I needed to buy. I couldn't go to the ATM because I didn't have my wallet. So I went home and and I kind of walk in the house. I'm like, who's got money they can let me borrow? Borrowed it from your son. So I used that as I, I borrowed from my son and had to pay him interest. And watch the video, loyal listeners. It was good stuff. I mean, really, how long was it? I think five minutes, five, five, eight minutes. I don't know, something like that. It's really good. You you need to watch it, and it'll help you understand how silly you are sometimes as a parent, right? That we don't teach our kids these these little bitty things. But uh, when you're a financial planner, you do. If people want to find out more about you, Eric, they want to find out more about your plan wisely, about your, some of the, your podcasts, where can they find you, man? Yeah, the best thing is my website, www.plan-wisely.com. And if we can, in the show notes, you can also put a link to uh, the ebook as well. You go to my website, you can find the podcast. Or if you go, you, I mean, I'm on Apple and Spotify and Google. So if you just search Eric Garcia, Plan Wisely, it should come up. But yeah, the best thing is the website, which was built by Chris Langeal, the best website builder ever. Ever, which we know is a sponsor. Hello. And uh, yeah, it's going to be awesome. And so, Eric, we're going to wrap up here. I got a couple other things I got to do, but uh, I want you to stay tuned. Put it into your, uh, when does school start there uh, next year? Usually when does school start down in New Orleans? Is it in the beginning of August, beginning of September? When is it, roughly? Uh, early August. Early August, yeah. So August 24th and 25th, as of right now, is what we're we're pretty sure we're about locked in. We're waiting for a confirmation from the the location. But uh, Indie Tech 2020, technology with a purpose. In the PR? In the PR. Puerto Rico? Uh, no, we're not. I want to go to Puerto Rico, but Hanley and I have decided that we don't want to, with this being a first-year time event, that we decided that we didn't want to put any kind of uh, hurdle in it. Probably, definitely next year. But uh, we wanted to go to a place that would be easy for in the middle of the United States. Since we're having it in the summer, we wanted to have it a little farther north. August in Puerto Rico would be, oh my gosh, that'd be like August in, in Cuba. I've been there multiple times. It's, oh, yeah. Holy cow. Man, August. You, you, you lost me at Coronas. The flip-flops and shorts were good, but then the Corona, I'm like, man, if you're that successful where you can wear flip-flops and cargo shorts at, you know, at 45, they don't drink Corona. I'm not going to drink Corona. I'm not a beer guy. That's why I said I'm not going the Corona route. I, I'm not. I'm really not. I'm going to be a wine guy, and I'm not a huge drinker. Now, after five, six, six o'clock at night, I, I like to put down some, but not during the day. Too much stuff to do. But we got Indie 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 Tech uh, 2020 technology with a purpose, and I'm really really excited about it because when people see what what Hanley, I mean Hanley has got some ideas, and I mean these are ideas. Once again, it's going to be all in one room. But it's going to be in a room, and you just got to be there. It's going to be really, really exciting. It's all about independent insurance agents. That's what it's all about. It's a technology forum, which there's none, that are just for tech, not for independent insurance agents. And it's for indie people. And when I say indie tech, those are independent insurance agents who have made their own software that is now changing the industry. Talking about insure tech carriers that make products for the independent insurance agents, and then vendors that support the independent insurance agent. If you are um, an insurance company, you can come, but you can't talk about auto, home, coverage. We don't care about any of that. What we do is we care about technology. And here's our here's what we call it. We call it find, understand, and implement. Over to this thing, the courses will be spread out to where you'll be able to find what's going to work for you and your agency. You're going to be able to understand it, analyze it, and make sure it's going to fit your clients. And you're going to be able to implement it and actually leave going away. Chad Spade and Travis Gensler are teaming up with Ryan Hanley and I to make sure that the implementation part gets done with their team of experts. Those guys are so damn smart. They shouldn't even be insurance agents, Eric. They should be working for NASA or something. They're so damn smart when it comes to technology and how to utilize it. A lot of people don't know Travis Gensler made his own AMS system and he built it on Microsoft and he hired a bunch of Microsoft developers and him and they made their own management system that's on Microsoft. Like Microsoft has their own. The dude is a, is a genius at some of the stuff that he does and a lot of people don't know him. So Indie Tech 2020, I hope that you're there, bro. I hope you're there. This is a big one, bro. This is a big one. This is going to be a big one. Hanley's got some crazy shit planned. I said, dude, he said, we're not doing a venue unless we can pull this off, Cass. What are the things that we want to do? I'm like, all right. So we're working on that. We have a call today at 12 o'clock because he's having a call with the with the uh, venue at 11 o'clock. So we'll see. Anyways, hey, Eric Garcia, really appreciate you as a friend. 
Really appreciate you as a friend, man. When I go down there, I'm coming there in August or April. I think I've told you that already. We're going to go out to eat. I got it down, man. I got it down. We're going to, I'm bringing the wife. Chad said that we could stay at his place. And I said, my wife wants to go to New Orleans. I'm taking her down. I'm going to have you and your wife or whoever uh, take us out to eat because you guys know where all the fine cuisine is. And uh, that's what that's what we're here for. Keep going, man. Thank you for everything you do. Thanks for being a mastermind member. Greatly appreciated. Maybe every once in a while you'll invite me in some of those groups that you have on Tuesday or whatever. But you know, one of these days I'll I'll get there. But uh, Eric, thank you very much for everything you do for our industry. Okay. Yeah, I appreciate you having me on. No problem. See you later. Hey guys, everybody. As you know, this has been Real Agent Him inside a real agency. His giving you the real agency intelligence of like, do you and your wife share the same bank account? That was real. That was real. And you know what he did? He told me his thoughts. He told me his ideas. I'm going to tell the world what you have to say. This has been Cass. This has been Garcia. We're out. Hey, agents, listen to this. Listen to this. What are we terrible at? Think of it. Think of it. Really? We're, we're terrible at training, right? We're not very good at hiring. We're not very good, terrible at firing, actually. Uh, terrible at creating process and some workflows. Terrible at technology and implementing that technology and even knowing what type of technology we want. And the list goes on and on. Now listen, I'm an agency owner and I, you know how it is. To, to fix a problem, the first thing you gotta do is you gotta admit you have a problem. Here's what you do. Go to virtualintel.com. Check out what we do because we do all those bad things that you can't do. Really? And you may do one or two of them well. Good for you if you can do them all. Just want you to know you're in the minority. But if you can't do any of them good or you don't even want to do them anymore because it just takes too much mental power, then good for you for realizing that and give us a call. I'm telling you, virtual intelligence, that's what we do. And where we specialize in high quality VEs, not virtual assistants. Look it up. Go to ChatGPT. Put in what's the difference between a virtual assistant and a virtual employee. Enough said. I don't have enough time to go on and on about all the differences on this 60 second commercial. But you've got time to search it and look at it. That's what we do. We deliver high quality VEs. We mix the technology with it. We train them on the technology, give them and the technology to you and you're off to the races. I'm not joking with you. You can call my agency at any time, ask for Lordland. And we do ask her, say, how fast are you able to do quotes? I've actually got a couple videos of it. That's right. We can do five to 10 carriers in one quote in three to seven minutes. So you give me an auto quote, I can do five to 10 carriers in three to seven minutes. How are we doing it? We're doing it through the technology of virtual intelligence. Give us a call, check us out. You can ask for me personally, I'll do the demo for you. Who are they? Cast certified.